And while you're getting settled, pull out your Bible, please, and open to the book of Romans. Are you excited to be here this morning, River West? Because I was gathering that, and it's good to be together. Welcome to all of you tuning in online. We love you. We miss you. A very special welcome to guests and visitors. I know there's some folks here visiting because we're doing baptisms today. 11 people are getting baptized today. Between two services, we'll do four at this service, and and then we'll do seven at the other, and... um, It's an amazing thing. So you came on the right morning. And what I want to do this morning here, we're in a new series in the book of Romans. I'm going to ask, I'm going to answer a question that I've been fielding, probably the number one question I've been fielding about Romans. And I want to answer it right out of the gate. By the way, thank you just for all the feedback. I've never got more feedback on a series. And a lot of it is Romans changed my life. I got saved because of Romans and so much of that. On the very first Sunday, I met this precious couple who were missionaries to China for many years, missionaries from Korea to China. And they visited our church on the first Sunday in Romans and they walked up, they could not wait to tell me their story. They said, did you know that there was a season in China where there were two books that were illegal to read publicly in China, the book of Romans and the book of Revelation. And this couple told me, they knew if you read the book of Romans, people will get saved. And if you read the book of Revelation, people will have hope. And I thought, wow, well, there you go. So maybe we'll preach preach Revelation next. How about that? (laughs) Okay. But here's the number one question I've received. Why Romans now? To which my first response is, why not Romans now, right? Why not? But here's my answer, and I want you to think about this, and I'm going to ask you to embrace this. I believe God intends to reignite our identity as a people on mission in this world. And he's going to use the book of Romans to do it. To be a people on mission. It's part of this beautiful disruption that we would come back to a collective sense of our identity as the people of God who are here on this planet, in this city, in this state, for one reason, and one reason only, church. We are here for one reason, to be on mission for God in this world. Amen? Are you with me? That's what the book of Romans is all about. The book of Romans is a missional document written by a missional heart, a pastor, an apostle, who had been set apart for the gospel. His heart beat as a missionary. It was a missional document written by a missionary to a church that he hoped to invite into the mission of God. He said, I need you, Romans. I need you, Christians in Rome, to embrace the mission of God and become a little outpost in that city for God's purposes in the gospel. And if if you just let me show you the lay of the land here, when you look at your Bible, chapter one, many of you know where we're going. We're heading quickly here in the next few weeks to sort of what's considered the main thesis of the book of Romans, verse 16 in your Bible. Many of you know this verse. I'm not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes. That's where we're headed. We'll get there next Sunday. 
And when we get there next Sunday, I'm going to reignite our corporate sense of our identity and our mission in this world to be people who are not ashamed of the gospel. What does that mean? But first, we've got to cross this bridge of verses 8 to 15. This is a bridge passage, and it's incredibly important. It's a passage that gives us a window into the heart of the missionary himself. So will you look at it with me now? Romans 1, verse 8. First, Paul says, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you, because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing, I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you, that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. That is, that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. I do not want you to be aware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you but thus far have been prevented in order that I may reap some harvest among you as well as among the rest of the Gentiles. I'm under obligation both to Greeks and to barbarians, both to the wise and to the foolish. So I'm eager to preach the gospel to you also who are in Rome. Now I'm gonna confess to you that for most of my Christian life, I have read through that paragraph as fast as I possibly can to get to the real stuff in Romans, right? Have you ever done that? We read these kinds of passages as if there's some kind of a formality. It's just, yeah, it's a formality. It's like sitting through the credits at the beginning of a movie. I just have to get through this to get to the real thing, right? And now, of course, they put the credits at the end of the movie, and then they do post-credit scenes to keep you there. Marvel keeps you there till the end of the credits, right? But this is not a formality. This little paragraph is critical. You won't understand Romans 1.16 if you don't understand the heart of the person who wrote it. And what I'm fascinated by when I read this paragraph is how much Paul gives away in just a few verses, his missional heart. If you were to say, how does a missional heart beat? Paul says, let me show you, let me show you. And then if you were to say, yeah, and then how does the, how does the, the, the heart of a missional church beat? Well, that's what we're going to talk about this morning. So Paul's heart, that's what I want to talk about today with three observations. Number one, Paul constantly felt gratitude to God for extraordinary examples of faith, constantly. But he always expressed that gratitude to the people who were demonstrating it, okay? He felt gratitude all the time. Extraordinary examples of faith. But he didn't stop there. He would always say something to the actual people. You see that? Verse 8, Paul says, First, I thank my God through Jesus Christ for all of you because your faith is proclaimed in all the world. Paul says, Romans, you don't realize this. You're developing quite a reputation around the, the Mediterranean world. People are hearing about you. They're hearing about your extraordinary faith 
And the story of what's happening in your churches in Rome is so encouraging that it's spreading like wildfire through the rest of the churches and people are drawing hope and joy through what's happening in you. Folks, it was really hard to follow Jesus in the ancient world at the beginning. It was hard. So imagine you're in a small church somewhere in, in Syria, modern day Syria, or someplace in Northern Africa, and you're struggling to follow Jesus and you're starting to feel discouraged. And then you get wind. You know what? There are churches in Rome, in the imperial city, the most important city that at that point on the planet, there are pockets of Christians who are faithfully following Jesus. Think how much that would have encouraged the early Christians. Sisters and brothers, has it ever dawned on you that your faithfulness to Jesus is actually being noticed by someone else and they're being encouraged by it? Have you ever thought about that? When you show up faithfully, when you serve faithfully, when you risk or sacrifice or struggle to continue to be faithful to Jesus in this world, never think that that's only valuable for that one moment in and of itself. It's very likely that someone is watching you and they're drawing encouragement from your faithfulness. I met with a man on Friday who told me, my wife and I, he said, my wife and I decided really early on, right when we were starting to do in-person gatherings, we decided we are just going to show up every single Sunday because we believe people need to be encouraged. They need to be encouraged. And I told him, do you know how much that encourages me just to know that? The Apostle Paul never missed an opportunity to tell people that he was thankful to God for them. He never missed an opportunity. For example, 1 Corinthians 1.4, I give thanks to my God always for you because of the grace of God that was given you in Christ Jesus. Philippians 1, 3 and 4, I thank my God in all my remembrance of you always in every prayer of mine for you, all making my prayer with joy. Colossians 1.3, we always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, and we pray for you since we heard of your faith. And I could go on and on and on. And you say, well, that's just formality. He just wrote that in every one of his letters. Uh-uh, have you read the intro to Galatians? The letter to Galatians is not so nice. The letter to Galatians is Paul saying, I am astonished that you're giving up on Jesus and walking away from the gospel so quickly. This is not a formality. Paul never missed an opportunity to say thank you to God for faithfulness and then express it to the actual people who were demonstrating that faith. How about you? I think we could do better at this, River West. I think we could do better. Some of you are really good at this. You're like, you express gratitude all the time. You're like amazing. And some of you probably can't remember the last time that you thanked somebody for, said, I, I see what you're doing, right? Maybe you thought it and maybe you even prayed about it, but you didn't actually go to a person and encourage them and say, thank you. I see what God is doing in your life. And you need to know that has blessed me so very much. We could do better, I think.
The most thankful group of people I've ever been around was a group of Christians in Egypt. By far the most thankful people I've ever been around. I had the rare privilege of traveling to Egypt a few years ago to teach and encourage some Christian leaders. And when we were there, we noticed the Christians in Egypt are just so grateful and they express it all the time. I'll never forget when we visited a church one Sunday morning and I got the privilege to preach in this church and as we drove to this church in our van with all of the curtains drawn for our, our, our protection, we drove in, when we got to the church and we pulled up to the front, there was a 20 foot stone wall in front of the church and as we pulled in, a security guard opened a small metal gate and the van pulled in as quickly as possible and they shut the gate and as we pulled in, our host, a man named Camille said, it was at this church just this past Easter that bombs went off and blew out the front entrance of the church as the Christians were gathered to worship Jesus. And we pulled in, we got in behind those gates and we walked in. There, it was like stepping into the most thankful place I had ever been. Christians gathered to worship Christ speaking a different language, singing different songs, but I immediately recognized Christian joy in that place. And I had people coming up constantly. We are so encouraged that you're here. Thank you so much for being here. I remember I said to, I said to one gentleman, wouldn't it be better? I mean, I, like, I'm so glad to be here, but wouldn't it be better to have like someone who, who speaks Arabic coming to encourage your church? And he grabbed me by the arms and he looked at my face and he said something to me in Arabic that I'm pretty sure could be translated, shut your mouth. Okay, just shut up. That's what he said to me. And then, and then in broken English, he said, do you know how hard it is to follow Jesus in Egypt? And to know that there are Christians around the world who are praying for us, who know about us, who would travel to spend time with us. Please come back come back again. We could do better today. Hey, it's Thanksgiving in two weeks, okay? I'm giving you an assignment. Have you noticed the faithfulness of someone in your life and it's encouraged you? Write a note, send an email, pick up the phone. Right now, when you walk out of the church today, grab somebody and say, you have blessed me. I thank God for you because of your faithfulness and just tell them. Observation number two. Paul humbly submitted to the will of God, even if it meant that some of his deepest longings went unfulfilled. He humbly submitted to the will of God. You see that in verse nine. Look at it. For God is my witness whom I serve with my spirit and the gospel of his son, that without ceasing I mention you always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will I may now at last succeed in coming to you. For I long to see you. The language here could not be more strong. Paul's saying, my, I have longed to come to you for for so long. It's my deepest desire. I've prayed fervently. Every time I pray, I plead with God that I could at last come and be with you. And then look at verse 13. 
I do not want you to be unaware, brothers and sisters, that I have often intended to come to you, but thus far I've been hindered. That really, it's hindered or prevented. Paul's saying, not only have I longed to come and be with you, but there were concrete moments where I had plans made. I was ready to go. I had, I had purchased tickets. I had rented a chariot, all right? I, my trip was planned. I was ready to go, and then something happened that would hinder me. And Paul somehow takes all of that, and he wraps it under the sovereign will of God. That's amazing. Do you think that it was a noble desire that Paul had to go to Rome? You think it was a good, godly, noble desire? I wonder if Paul ever thought, God, why would you prevent me from going to Rome? What purpose would that serve? I'd love to go to Rome. Would you? I, I would absolutely love, my, my reason for going to Rome is far less noble than Paul's, right? I would love to go to Rome, right? And here's Paul saying, I've wanted to come to Rome so I could encourage you. And here we come to one of the great mysteries of the Christian faith, the great mysteries. That place where our deepest longings, even the godly ones, even the ones that are noble, but what happens when you get to a place where those deep longings begin to collide with the sovereign purposes of God? What do you do? Paul learned to see obstacles as a way that the sovereign God sometimes guides his children. Hindrances. He learned to see those in a different way, and we need to learn to see them in a different way. I don't know about you, but I view obstacles to my agenda as nuisances only. <laughs> and Paul had a different view. He started to see obstacles through a different lens. He says, I had plans, but I kept being hindered. And there's no evidence that Paul viewed this as an accident. He, he started to view these as the way God sometimes works. I want to take you to a couple places. First, I'm just going to put up the, a, a passage at the end of Romans. You don't need to turn there, but because I'm going to have you turn in a minute to Acts. This is Romans 15, 22, and 23, where Paul... He tells us a little bit more about hindrances. Look at this. This is the reason why I have so often been hindered from coming to you. And what he's talking about, he's talking about his mission to preach the gospel to all of the Gentiles. So he had said earlier, I, I made it a point that I would, I would never go anywhere where the gospel had already been preached. I would only go to places where the there were pockets where the gospel had not been preached. And then Paul said, and this is the reason why I was hindered from coming to you. Meaning there were still pockets of places before I could even start to get to Rome. I had this entire Mediterranean circle where the gospel had not spread because he goes on, look what he says. He says, this is the reason that I was hindered from coming to you. But now, since I no longer have any room for work in these regions, and since I have longed for many years to come to you, I hope to see you in passing 
as I go to Spain. Paul's like, I love you and I'm going to hang out and we, you can give me a tour of Rome. But the reality is I'm on my way to Europe. My ambition is Europe. I love this. Friends, sometimes the hindrance in your life that causes some of your deepest desires to be prevented from getting fulfilled, sometimes what's hindering you is a higher calling, a calling to something from God that's, that's even more important than longings that might even be extremely noble or godly. I know people in our church who have put major aspects of their life on hold to care for a loved one, a parent, someone who they're responsible for, and they view it as their duty before Jesus to, to care for someone, even if it comes at great expense of their own personal longings. I know single parents who would long for an intimate relationship with someone, but they believe that God has called them to raise their children. And I could go on and tell story after story. People who have deep, godly, beautiful longings that are going unexpressed for some reason. And one of the reasons that happens is they know I am being called to something even more important right now. Profound. Sometimes the hindrances that come in the form of obstacles, events that happen in your life. For Paul, Paul was getting bit by snakes and he was experiencing shipwrecks and injuries and sickness, all kinds of things. And sometimes that happens in our lives, but all under the sovereign purposes of God. And sometimes, and this is where it gets very mysterious, sometimes God himself directly stands in our way. So will you turn now with me to the book of Acts? I want to show you in a fascinating moment in Paul's life. Acts 16. I need you to go there in your own Bible. I want to hear those pages turn. It's the most beautiful noise I could ever hear as a pastor. Make some noise out there, people. All right. Acts 16 is where we're going. And the context of Acts 16 is Paul's second missionary journey. He's left Antioch, which is down in modern-day Syria, and he's headed north. And in the beginning of Acts 16, you see there he comes to a little town called Derby, and then he comes to a town named Lystra. And when he's in Lystra, this is where he meets Timothy, and Timothy joins Paul on his mission. And then in verse 5, it says they're, they're going around, they're preaching the gospel, and it says in verse 5, so the churches were strengthened in the faith and they increased in numbers daily. But now look at this, verses 6 through 8. They went through the region of Phrygia and Galatia, having been forbidden by the Holy Spirit to speak the word in Asia. And when they had come to Mycenae, they attempted to go into Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus did not allow them. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas. And I want to ask you a question. Why in the world would the Holy Spirit prevent Paul from preaching the gospel somewhere? The Christians should be reading that and say, the Holy Spirit prevented Paul from taking a five-day siesta in Asia or something. And that's not what's happening. The Holy Spirit forbid us from preaching the word in Asia. 
And what I'm going to do, and I'm going to put up a map and just kind of show you what's happening here. This will be, oh no, can you see that? Sort of, okay. Um, this is why I got glasses. But anyway, okay, the red line there, leaving Antioch and then to Tarsus, there's Derby, there's Lystra, they meet Timothy. And now notice, Paul begins to travel north up into Galatia, and we read that he wanted to turn west into Asia to preach the gospel, but the Holy Spirit would not let him turn west. And we don't know how many times he wanted to turn west, but there he is. He wanted to turn west, go into Asia, preach the gospel. The Spirit's like, no, no, no. Then Paul says, in the next verse, he says, okay, then what we'll do is we'll actually turn east and we'll go into Bithynia and Pontus and preach the gospel. And the Spirit of Jesus says, no, no, no. And Paul is woven and directed and guided until he comes to a little town called Troas, which is like the end of the road, the end of the road. And I'm gonna stop right there. We can take the map down. And I wanna ask a question. What is going on here? Why in the world would, would the Holy Spirit step in Paul, godly desires? Are you there in your life right now? Do you have godly longings and for some reason you're just being prevented and and maybe it's something you've even prayed about for years and years and years and and there's even been moments where your hopes are lifted or or that even seems like something's about to come to fruition and then suddenly you you hit another obstacle and what i love and what we learn from the apostle paul is that never stopped Paul from praying. From praying, seeking God with humility. Remember what Paul said, verse 10 of Romans? He said, always in my prayers, asking that somehow by God's will, I may now at last succeed in coming to you. I guarantee you Paul was confused. I guarantee you Paul was annoyed. I guarantee you Paul questioned God's judgment. I guarantee you Paul said, this cannot be right. Why in the world would God prevent me from doing this? What is going on? But there's one thing that Paul never did. He never stopped going to God in prayer and with a humble heart. I don't know, Lord, I'm not sovereign. I'm not omniscient. I can't understand why in the world you would not want me to do this. But I'm surrendered to your will because you're good and you're holy. Friends, can I give you an encouragement? Take those longings, take those hurts, take those disappointments and do not turn away from God. Turn back towards God with a humble heart and pray and seek him. Did you know that some of the most important events happened for the spread of the gospel because God hindered Paul from doing what he wanted? Did you know this? Some of the most important things. Do you know what happened when Paul got to Troas, the end of the road? Literally, he came to the sea 
and he just had to stay and stop. You know what happened next? Look at this. So passing by Mycenae, they went down to Troas, Acts 16, verse 9, which I'll put on the screen. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night, and a man of Macedonia, which is kind of modern-day Greece, a man of Macedonia was standing there urging him and saying, come over to Macedonia and help us. This is a vision. And when Paul had seen the vision, immediately it says, we sought to go into Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. And that sent Paul on a tour around the Mediterranean where he planted a church in Philippi, Thessalonica, Athens, Corinth, and Ephesus. Letters to the Ephesians, Thessalonians, the Philippians, Corinthians. All because the Holy Spirit kept moving Paul and guiding Paul and directing Paul. Do you realize what happened because God kept preventing Paul from going to Rome? Anyone want to take a stab what happened because Paul was not permitted to go to Rome? What happened? Anyone want to take a stab? Talk back to me. He wrote the book of Romans. Where would we be today if God had let Paul go to Rome exactly when he wanted to go? We would not have the book of Romans, my friends. Amazing. Sometimes God accomplishes his very best by guiding and even putting hindrances in our way. Okay, one final observation. And this is, I love this. It's in verse 12. What happens in verse 12, this is so fascinating to me, and it happens sometimes in Paul's letters, is that Paul actually, he corrects himself. You notice this? He goes, I'm not, I'm not totally satisfied with what I just said. <laughs> and so he corrects himself. And here's what he said in verse 11. In verse 11, Paul had said, let me turn back there. He said, I long to see you that I may impart to you some spiritual gift to strengthen you. So that's why I long to come. I long so that I can impart a spiritual gift to you. And the moment he says that, he says, I'm not totally comfortable with what I just said there. And the reason Paul was not comfortable with that would be the same reason I would be uncomfortable if I ever communicated to you that the only reason that I ever come here is to encourage you or somehow to use my gifts to just strengthen you. If you ever thought that was the only thing that I'm thinking, I would be uncomfortable with that because the reality is I need to be encouraged as much in this moment as perhaps you do. I'm just a human being. I'm just a, I'm just a person, just like you. And so Paul says, lest you think it's always just the Apostle Paul showing up with the answers, the Apostle Paul showing up with spiritual gifts, the Apostle Paul showing up to strengthen you, that's actually wrong. The reality is, Paul says in verse 12, that is, what I really mean is that we may be mutually encouraged by each other's faith, both yours and mine. Paul longed to not only give encouragement, yes, but also to receive it as well. 
from the community of faith. And so do I. And I hope so do you. This is a church, folks. We're a church family. And so it's this constant, beautiful balance of mutual encouragement where no one person is always only showing up to give, 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 but that I show up to receive. I need to be encouraged. I need, I need to see examples of faithfulness. And no one person is only showing up to take, 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 receive, 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 but also to give. And think of the power and the beauty and the impact in our city of a community of believers who every Sunday when we gather, we show up both to give and to receive. You have a gift to give in our church family. Every time you show up, will you come asking Jesus, Lord, I, I pray that I could use my spiritual gift to encourage another brother and sister. Are you encouraged by Pastor Colin and the ministry of worship? This is not a trick question. I mean, are you encouraged by the ministry of worship at our church? Okay, I am too. Do you know what encourages Pastor Colin? When you worship <laughs> and when you raise your hands and when you start clapping, all right? Okay, that's not weird. If you wanna start clapping during worship, just do it because that encourages Pastor Colin. Are you encouraged by our children's ministry in our church? Get ready for the shameless plug, okay? Are you encouraged by the children's ministry? Do you know what encourages the children's ministry staff? When you sign up to hold babies. Yeah. Are you encouraged by your community group leader? Do you know what encourages them? When you show up ready to engage. Whatever it is, come and use your gift. And bless the body of Christ. And speaking of mutual encouragement... Today, we're going to baptize 11 people in our church. And it's going to be very encouraging. You know, the 11 people that are going to get baptized here in a moment are going to leave here so encouraged. And I hope you're a part of that. Come up afterwards, grab them, and just say, I thank God for you. But do you know who else is going to be encouraged by people getting baptized? You're going to be encouraged, okay? If you walk out of these doors in 20 minutes and you're not encouraged, I am going to come over and check for a pulse, okay? Because something is, because this is an, this is like the greatest celebration the church gets to be a part of. People saying, I am going to follow Jesus and I want to be baptized to tell my world about it. How wonderful is that? Okay, so I'm gonna invite the worship team to come. I'm gonna, I'm gonna have you bow your heads. I'm gonna say a prayer and then we're gonna baptize some folks. Will you pray with me? Heavenly Father, how we thank you for the book of Romans. The wisdom in this book is in primary evidence that it was inspired by your Holy Spirit. And so we come to this moment, Sunday after Sunday, with a certain amount of humility, Lord, recognizing we are reading, we are studying, we are hearing from your mind, your heart, Heavenly Father, through the inspiration of your Holy Spirit and the pen of the Apostle Paul.
And so we thank you, Lord. We thank you for what we're about to witness, these baptisms, how we pray, Lord, for the four that will get baptized here in this service and then the seven in the next, that you would bless them, God, that you would strengthen them, that you would encourage them. Thank you, Jesus. And we pray together in your precious name. Everyone said, amen. amen.